Hey y'all, welcome back to the Amateur Draft Podcast, Episode 3. I'm here with my co-host, also Ethan. Uh, Happy to be here. Really excited to talk about my favorite position in football, the offensive line and the defensive line, battle in the trenches. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, I mean, let's not waste too much time. We can kind of get into it. So we're going to be going from the outside in, uh, starting with uh, the offensive tackle. Yeah, the tackle is really kind of the foundation of the offense. Uh, It's not very flashy, but it's what holds everything together. Um, It makes sure that your quarterback isn't hit in the dirt too often. It's it's a very difficult position to find, especially in today's NFL. They're a lot rarer than they used to be. No, I mean, I think there's only a few programs that really put out good offensive linemen every year, so they're highly envied positions and players because they're so valuable to an offense. While they're not the glamour, without a good offensive line, your offense doesn't do much. Yep, for sure. So... Uh, Going into tackles right now, we're going to be doing our positional prototypes, um, continuing that. So to start off, what are we we looking for as our first point here with tackles? I mean, I think this is important for every position on the offensive line, but the first thing we're looking for is footwork. If you can't move your feet and get set in the right spot, then you're just going to get run around. Yeah, definitely, and especially especially when you're talking about some of these faster edge rushers in today's uh, NFL even somebody that's real small led the league in sacks last year, and uh, Shaq Barrett, because I mean the dude was fast and he knew how to uh, tear apart bad tackles' footwork. No, and you look at the edge class coming in this year. Someone like Gregory Rousseau, who is insanely fast, big. If you don't have footwork to beat him to the edge, he's going to run past you and destroy your quarterback. So when we're talking about footwork here, uh, the biggest thing is to is to mention that we're talking about a kick set or a kick slide of a tackle. Uh, it's their ability to essentially beat. The pass rusher to a spot that's in the way of the quarterback. You know, you make sure that your hips are pointed at the edge rusher, you know, and really have the flexibility and the fluidity in your lower half to be able to mirror them properly. You know, a line play is really like chess. You know, whoever gets to that spot first has the advantage. It's all about getting an advantage over your opponent because, you know, they're in the NFL for a reason. All these guys are good athletes. So there's not many that are just going to rely on their athleticism. It's about their technique and where they are. They're there at the right time. Absolutely. And speaking of technique, uh, the feet are the only part of a tackle that matter. Uh, you also have hands. And I think uh, having good hands, obviously, is important because if you don't, you're going to miss your punch. Um, and kind of speak to, as as a tackle yourself, speak to what, uh, what you look for. Well, I mean, if you get your hands swatted, you miss your punch, it can really get in your head. You know, like It really throws that whole rep off because you miss, and then it's all about recovery, and you lose your confidence at the tackle in that spot. The really great tackles can keep their confidence despite missing their hands and reset using that high hand, low hand technique. And this is one of those things where you you can look at some of these better, some of these bigger, stronger uh, offensive linemen in general. And we're going to get to the rest of the offensive line here. But guys with really good hands, as soon as they land their punch, it's over. The rep is done. They've won. Now, if a good offensive lineman gets his hands on you and gets you in what they call the clamp, you're done. You're not getting out of it. If you're a bad tackle, I mean, they might get out of your clamp, which means you're not doing it right. But good tackles with good hand technique, if they get you in their grip, you're stuck. Absolutely. And it's it's grip strength combined with hand placement. Um, so moving on, we have anchor. Uh, the biggest thing that's really important just to remember here is uh, you don't want to get bull rushed in the quarterback's lap. You know, a quarterback can step up in the pocket, but if you're getting bull rushed into the quarterback, uh, and you're going to see this is a very common thread here, there's not much quarterback can do. No, if the pocket collapses around him, there's really no way for him to roll out. I think that's probably the hardest thing for a quarterback to avoid is your tackle getting bull rushed. Yeah, I, and I I could see that. I think 
generally the most difficult thing would be interior pressure. I mean, yes. I mean, from a tackle point oh, of view. From a tackle, from a tackle point absolutely. of view, the worst thing for that happens to a tackle, I mean, just straight if he gets beat around the edge or he gets bull rushed into his own quarterback. Absolutely. So, um, looking at uh, next up, we've got length. And length is one of those things. It's it's not a make or break. You don't want to have a dude with short arms, but having long arms doesn't make you a good tackle. No, it just helps you be able to use those techniques more effectively because, I mean, it's almost like a boxing match. Whoever lands that first punch, whether it's the defender swiping your hands or you getting your hands on them, it's about getting there first. And guys with longer arms have the advantage of getting there first. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And I think, uh, speaking, I mean, when you're talking about landing a punch, you know, you want to hear, you want to see that a tackle has a heavy punch. One of the things, one of the things that really comes to mind for me, at least, is uh, when you look at the combine exercises, combine workouts. Um, what was the tackle from Alabama? Uh, Jedrick, Wills. Jedrick Wills. Jedrick Wills. He had a drill. You go in your kick set and you punch bags. You know. Yes. And he nearly knocked the dude over. Like he, he knocked the dude's hat off of him. It was a heavy punch, and that was one of those things you see that he's not only a high level competitor. But he does have a very heavy punch, and you would see him neutralize a rush on the first punch. No, and that can really take a lot off your grade as a tackle if you don't have a hard punch. If you have a soft punch that doesn't affect the defender at all, then what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, looking at the last one is size. I note that it was the last one because a technically refined tackle that has bad size is going to naturally struggle and have a lower ceiling ultimately than some of these uh, some of these bigger guys. No, I mean there is a reason that they do measurements at the combine. Bigger guys, more prototypical size have an advantage over smaller guys. Not saying that smaller guys can't succeed with hard work and technique, but they are at a disadvantage. Definitely. Now it is important to remember like at no point here do we put bench press or squat. You know, you can be a workout warrior but then be an absolutely abysmal tackle. Um, look at uh, Charles Leno Jr. Oh dear. For the Bears, like he—he's a great athlete. He's very strong, but he just doesn't—he doesn't have any of the technical ability uh, to really stop some of those edge rushers, particularly in the NFC North, that are so lethal. No, and he's one of those guys we talked about. I talked about earlier losing your confidence when you miss your punch. He's one of the guys that he, I think he gets in his own head about halfway through the game. Yes. When he's struggling, his hands aren't landing where he wants them. And, you know, a strong, we didn't add this on our list, but a tackle that has mental fortitude is important. I think that's important for all the offensive line is having the mindset that, you know, I may have lost this rep, but I'm going to win the next one. It's a battle. And just like a battle, you have to have the mindset of I'm going to win every rep. Yes. And all these traits that we're mentioning, because it's the offensive line, you have kind of a twofold uh, job in not only pass blocking, but run blocking as well. And a lot of these things really help. So mm-hmm. footwork is pass protection. Hands are very important in run blocking. Um what, what we don't have here at tackle is necessarily agility because I think for a tackle, the most important thing would be pass protection. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're the tackle with that guy on the outside. I think run, run blocking becomes more important the more interior you go. But for a tackle, you can be a subpar run blocker and be a good tackle. Uh, just look at Andrew Thomas. I mean, he, he was the first tackle off the board this year. Uh, I didn't think from my evaluation of him that he was a good run blocker at all. No, he really didn't put a ton of effort into run blocking, really conserved his energy for pass blocking, which I understand. Yes, definitely in today's NFL. Um, I think the the population that is, you know, that requires good run blocking at the tackle position requires a stud run blocker. I think that, I think that part 
is kind of from the old game. I mean, I think there's still a few teams that use it, particularly a team like the 49ers. They run a lot of outside zone. You know, that in particular, you have to have a tackle that can block well on the run. But for most schemes, it's not nearly as important. Yes, another one that comes to mind would be the Titans uh, getting Isaiah Wilson, the other tackle from Georgia. No, he's a very good run blocker. You know, he's almost more like a guard. He's a great run blocker, but has some questions in pass protection, particularly his footwork. Yeah, and that's something where the Titans' play action will really protect him while he can develop, and it's going to help that he's going to be behind Taylor Lewan. I mean, Taylor Lewan is no joke of a tackle. We talk about someone with really good footwork, and that's a great mentor for, um, I totally just blanked on his name. Isaiah Wilson. Isaiah Wilson. Yeah. So we got our we got our comps here, or not our comps, these are going to be our prototypes. Uh, we got Tyron Smith. I mean, just a, you talked about a workout warrior who can also play. He is a freak of nature. You might as well have built him in a factory like, hey, this is the perfect tackle. You build Tyron Smith. That definitely. He's a massive human being who can move. You know, he's got long arms. He's built. I mean, the guy, he was built He was built in a factory. Um, you, you want to talk about a lethal punch. Once Tyron Smith gets his hands on you, you might as well just stop. You're finished. Uh, and that's been really, I mean, when he is healthy, and that's the sad part is that a lot of the time he's not healthy, when he is healthy, that Cowboys offense moves. I mean, you know, you talk about importance of tackle, not a glamour position. Their offense, when he's not on the field, is significantly worse than when he is on the field. Uh, definitely. I mean, especially when you've got a quarterback like Dak Prescott who cannot handle pressure as well as some of these other ones. No, he definitely can't. And Tyron Smith protects him from that. And that's really, you know, something I think when they got Dak Prescott, they're like, okay, I know we can't handle pressure great, but we have a great offensive line. And that'll protect him from that. He can throw the ball well. So Then we got Mitchell Schwartz here. And he's kind of the opposite of that. I'd say not the opposite. He's a technician. No, he much less relies on his athleticism, much more on his technique, particularly his footwork. His footwork is flawless. Definitely. And, and it's one of those things. He's a massive person, but he's not a great athlete uh, when you look at him. He's not going to be the dude that's going to go up you know, pass a guy off, go up to the second level, you know, blow a dude up. He's he's pretty slow, but if you see him in pass protection specifically, he's fantastic. No, and he didn't allow a sack the entire past season. And I think he only allowed, what, like 15 pressures? I believe so. He takes Von Miller's lunch money every single time they play him. Uh, he, he's one of those dudes, and Von Miller is an explosive, fast guy, and you look at Mitchell Schwartz, who's a massive human being, and you go, wow. Man, that looks like a bad matchup. And then they play, and you realize it's a pretty fair it's a pretty fair fight. No, and if you're shutting down a first ballot Hall of Famer in Von Miller, you are a top tackle and a prototype. And definitely, and I mean you see it not just against Von Miller, specifically Von Miller, but I mean you can see it against guys like Khalil Mack. You know, I believe they played uh, the Smith brothers this year. Oh, and Mr. Big Contract himself, Joey Bosa. Joey Bosa. So uh second guy on the field guard these guys are i mean you want to talk about not a very glamorous position the tackle gets a lot of credit the guard does not no the guard doesn't um, unless you're a highlight reel like one of the guys will discuss later so the first thing that we actually mentioned here were hands and it goes back to the kind of discussion we had earlier and we kind of set the table for everything else um, hands it's more so about just landing and holding your punch yeah i mean grip strength is very important at the guard position. Landing your hands in the right spot, not just landing your punch. I think we need to define that a little bit. 
you know, it's all about getting in their pads, your hands underneath their pads, because you just land outside on their shoulder, on their arm, your hand's in an awkward spot, and then your hand placement, your technique is off, and it throws off the whole rep. But when you get your hand placement right and you land a good punch, then that sets the tone of that rep. Yes, uh, and one of the things that I kind of like to visualize it as is riding a bull. You know, you, you're going to go, you're going to get down, anchor yourself, and then you're going to put your hands in their pads and try to hang on for, what, two seconds? Uh, as long as you possibly can. Yeah, so, and and one of the things that he mentioned was hand placement. I can kind of go into a little bit of that. Uh, he mentioned the clamp earlier, or the clamp a down on a guy. And, and the clamp is where you're going to grab... Uh, the guy's inside, inside on his pads, on on the toward the middle of the field, and then on the boundary side of the field, you're going to grab up in his shoulder pad, and it's technically holding, but the high hand in his in his actual shoulder is going to make sure he doesn't have any lateral agility. He can't spin, do that kind of thing. The inside hand is going to be kind of your anchor hand. Uh, you're going to see this a lot with tackle technique. You're going to have a high hand, low hand, even with footwork. You know, we'll get more into footwork in the centers. We definitely will, and that hand placement is especially key for guards when they're trying to push someone back in run blocking or hold them in pass blocking. Yep, and and that and that clamp technique is just one of those things that you really want to see out of a guard. Um, and right now we're kind of talking about as far as pro scouting, but once we get into college scouting and we start talking about how that all about how what we look for, you know, um, more specifically, that's when we're going to kind of go into some of that stuff, and we'll probably get to that at some point in the future. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, And the next important trade out of a guard, you know, we talked about it being a more important run-blocking position is power. Can you blow them off the spot? Can you clear that gap for your running back? Uh, yes, especially in a gap scheme um, where gap scheme is a lot more about you know, double-teaming on a dude, driving him two yards off the ball if you can, and, and flattening him ultimately because you want to break the defensive lineman's will to play. I mean, that's really the goal of all offensive line position. Can you break their will? Who wins? It's a chess game. Like, who wins? It's the battle of attrition. It's the most violent chess game you could possibly play. Yes, that's what makes it great. Um, so, and that, and that was power. And it's not just from that, but... Uh, and then we kind of move into our next one. Similarly, it's anchor. And it doesn't necessarily require being a particularly strong person. Uh, we'll get to another dude later in the center position who is small and generally considered pretty weak. But his anchor is fantastic. You know, an anchor factors into your footwork. Can you reset your feet, reset your hands? Anchor is a combo of footwork and hands. Uh, definitely. And anchor, it's not. It's important to know that just because you see a dude backpedaling doesn't mean that he has a weak anchor. No. No, it just means that they're properly resetting it. They're not losing their balance. What you want to do is you want to keep that forward, uh, a forward lean against a bull rush you want to be able to re-anchor and do it in a controlled way. No, you don't want to not move your feet and get pushed flat on your back. So if a dude's resetting his feet, it doesn't necessarily mean he's losing the rep. Indefinitely. Uh, um, so next, next up is going to be agility, and that's last because a guard is going to be generally working in, in I call it the telephone booth. I yes. think that's what's generally called. It's just you're going to have your little box that you're going to be playing inside of, you know, and you don't need to leave it unless you're you know, I mean, unless you're in some of these more advanced outside zone schemes uh, or they're asking you to do any crazy kind of pulling, generally, the agility isn't the most important thing if you can just anchor down and drive people at the point of attack. No, the only scheme this really becomes important in is your West Coast schemes running outside zone, a lot of screen passes. you got, you got to be moving around a lot. Y- yes, uh, for sure. And that is and that is one of the things that I really did like 
about Andrew Thomas in the passing game. Uh, we're going back to a tackle, but or in the passing game was the screen game. His agility, his ability to get out into open field and get down the field is, is massive. You know, and a lot of offenses, such as an up-and-coming team in the Cardinals, they run a lot of that. you got to be able to move if you're playing for that team. Uh, yep, and you're definitely going to be seeing... Uh, you're definitely going to be seeing a lot more college prospects that are lighter. I mean, the offensive line, uh, you know, we talk about uh, running backs getting lighter, and we talk about, I mean, everybody's getting lighter, especially linebackers, which we'll get to next episode. No, I mean... But these speed, offensive linemen are getting very light. They're getting very light, and the game is becoming more and more about speed. I mean, look at the team that just won the Super Bowl and the Chiefs. That team is fast. That's a track meet. Absolutely, and it goes all the way, and like, the, the newer teams are going all the way down to the line as far as how fast they can be. I think it's kind of a, uh, it's funny, it's it's turning in a little bit kind of similar to basketball where it's it's spacing. You want to get your guys into open space. If you can put blockers in open space, then you win. You're going to win the play. And you're going to get the yardage because you put a lineman up against a defensive back and it, it does, they don't count. You just eliminated them entirely. So there's agility. Our two dudes, it's obvious the first guy, uh, but our two dudes for the prototypes, and keep in mind we're trying to keep, uh, these aren't necessarily the two best ones, but we're trying to keep kind of a balance between the two different types. Uh, the first one is Quinton Williams. Uh, if you if you don't know about his game, you should. Be, go watch. It's enter, it's more entertaining than any receiver. Well, I mean, I would hope we weren't be talking about the Jets' defensive tackle. I mean, I think we're thinking of Quinton Nelson here with Did the I Cole. say Quinton Williams? <laughs> yes, you did. Dang it. I was just reading something about him. Ugh. All right. No, he he. Uh, I heard him referred to as a human highlight reel the other day, because yes. he's just constantly throwing people on their back. He is your prototypical gap scheme guard, blowing people yes. off the ball. Great in pass protection. I mean, the example of how to re-anchor, anchor and then re-anchor. Absolutely. He is like, he's the Tyron Smith of guards. If you built the guard in the factory, Quentin Nelson would come out. Definitely, and the craziest part is that not only is he one of the most powerful human beings on the planet, he can actually move. And you know what's impressive about this? Is he's only in, like, his third season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the rest he's of the very league, young. You should be scared because the Colts' offensive line is very young, very good. As long as he's there, they're going to be a good offensive line. The second guy, more a little bit on the agility side, Ali Marpet. He's a great zone blocker. Uh, he can handle quickness, but he lacks the anchoring ability of a dude like Quentin Nelson. No, Not the... Quentin Williams. <laughs> <laughs> he's one of those guys that he mo- we talked about agility in West Coast schemes that move around a lot. That's Ali Marpet. He can run that scheme very well. All right, and the final position we're going to go over in today's episode is the center. Uh, these guys are undoubtedly the most underrated of all the positions Likely in the, on the football field, just in general? No, I think the responsibilities of a center get grossly understated of all the responsibilities they have, things they have to do, and how good their technique has to be. Yeah, definitely. And I think sometimes they're not noticed when they're a bad center because they'll have a guard covering for their butt the entire game. Oh, yeah. It happens a lot. But what they don't consider is that then that puts stress on the tackle. And then often you're tied in who then has to cover for the tackle. It just puts more stress on your whole offense as an underperforming center. Cough, cough, New York Giants. Wow. Just had to call them out like that, didn't you? I mean, the inner Eagles fan came out there. Well, that was rough. Well, you are an Eagles fan, so we'll get to your guy here in a little bit. Uh, so the first thing that comes up is IQ. Um, this is really just 
I mean, more or less the ability to uh, call out protections, uh, make things easier on your the rest of your offense by uh, recognizing recognizing blitzes and twists and stuff like that before they happen. And then oftentimes changing splits and all that kind of stuff, telling the rest of the offensive line what to do. A lot of times I think people think the quarterback does all this, when in a lot of offenses it's not the quarterback, it's the center. Yeah, because why would you have the quarterback perform yet another task when you could give it to, when you can give it off to your center? I mean, I could be mistaken. Did Peyton Manning say his center always called it for him? Oh, Jeff Saturday was the. I mean, Jeff Saturday was the heart and soul of that offense, regardless of if Peyton Manning was the captain. Oh yeah, I mean, your quarterback already has so many responsibilities. He has to know every what everyone's doing. He has to call audibles, all that kind of stuff. Why put calling protection on your quarterback if you have a good center? Yeah, I mean, that's and especially when you're looking at these young quarterbacks coming into the league, you don't want that to be on them. No, it really puts a lot of pressure on them in an already high-pressure position. Yeah, I mean, Lord help us all if Trevor Lawrence gets a bad center. Oh, dear. Uh, all right, second one is agility. And this one is one of those where some people have it, some people don't. It kind of just depends on your scheme. Because there are some places we're going to get to a dude that doesn't have much agility or can get away with it. Um, but it's because he's so good at everything else. Um, no, and center is one of those positions where you have a lot more second-level blocking responsibilities and a lot of schemes. And so that ability to get up to the linebacker or the second level is where that agility comes in. Going into the third one, uh, we're going to talk about it's their feet and it's their ability and I kind of put feet here because you're not you don't have a kick set to go into like a tackle. Your feet is pretty much it's pretty much your anchor. Oh yeah, if you have bad feet at any of these positions, you're done. Just stop. Like your feet have to be on point, especially at the center position, because if you're covering both a gaps in some schemes, you have to be able to move your feet back and forth. Yes, and it's very similar to agility. Um, you know, agility it's going to also include the ability to. Um, help both guards at the same time, almost, where a stunt happens, you can pick up a stunt when your guard misses it. You can help with the double team if you see one dude's getting beat. You know, it's your ability to kind of be, you know, a helper in the middle. But then also your feet are going to be making sure that quarterback doesn't feel that very dangerous interior pressure. Yes. And, you know, a lot of times centers have to do a lot of what's called combo blocking, and I'll explain that a little bit instead of using a big term and not explaining it. Combo blocking is a double team where then you split off, and a lot of times the center is calling that. It, you can do it in pass protection and in run protect, in run blocking, run protection. Um, but they have to do a lot of that, and being able to move off that block and get to the next one for that footwork and agility comes in. Yes, uh, very like that's very important. Um, and if you can add a spin move. If you can add a spin move, like somebody else we're going to talk about. Then you get bonus I feel points. like we keep referencing these people, and if you don't know who they are, well, at least one of them. I, we'll get there. Uh, so the final one is hands. And this is just for interior line, period. Like, if you can land your punch and hang on, a lot of these dudes on the interior, like pass rushers, they're stymied already, especially the speedier guys. Um, think if you can get your hands on Grady Jarrett, he's done. Who is that? Uh, Taven Bryan. He's one of those Taven guys. Taven Bryan for the Jags, yeah. If you can get your hands on someone like Taven Bryan who just tries to use his speed in the interior a little undersized, then he's done. I mean, that, but that's why we put footwork above hands is because a lot of interior guys are more focused on their bull rush and their power. Yeah, and, and hands, too, 
are going to be the the way that you lift them up in their pads to stop the bull rush. Because if you can get a dude up and playing high, higher than you, then you win. Yeah, I mean, it's the low man wins. You can't bull rush from a high spot. No. Um, and that's that's one of the reasons you do see the shorter guys usually playing at center. And so for our positional prototypes, uh, the first guy that we have here is Jason Kelsey. Um, you're an Eagles fan. You know, you take this one. You know, Jason Kelsey, I talked about calling path protections. He's one of the reasons that Carson Wentz looked so good coming into the league. He was calling pass sets, splits, everything that needed to be done in protection. And then he was also pulling off some, you know, pretty great spin move blocks, giving Carson Wentz a lot of time, really elevating the rest of the offensive line, which is what a true star center can do. Uh, and definitely. And now you talked about the pass protection. How about his ability to play zone and to get up to that second level and wipe out linebackers. Oh, yeah. He made a bunch of running backs who I can't even name their names look really good, like they're good running backs because their blocking was so great. Wendell Smallwood. Oh, yeah, Wendell Smallwood. <laughs> I don't know if he's even in the league anymore. Uh, yeah, I, I don't actually know where he is either. Um, so that's Jason Kelsey. And then literally the exact opposite is Rodney Hudson for the Oakland Raiders. Um, he is a mauler. He is to the center position what Quentin Nelson is to the guard position. Yeah, he was just doing it a lot earlier with less high right with yeah. less recognition. Yes, I mean since he since he started with the Chiefs, like he's been he's been a rock, and he really is one of those guys. Like if he, I I hope he ends up as a Hall of Famer someday. I don't know if he's going to get the recognition. If he doesn't, then there's something wrong with the system. Oh, absolutely, because they're. I mean, the center's just underrated. What this guy does on a weekly basis, in the same way that Quentin Nelson does, he's excellent in pass protection. You will not move him backwards. He's going to move you backwards. Yes, he will. He's one of those guys you got to look for him, illegal man downfield, because he's blowing you off the ball so bad. Absolutely. Uh, so that's the center position. That's one of those things where you know, every team has something different. If you're in the Shanahan tree, uh, you're going to be looking at that, You know, kind of, I think the poster child for this is the 49ers. Yes. Agile, like borderline, just fast offensive line that can – cross a defensive lineman's face and then block ahead of him. Yes. And then if you're in a more power scheme, look at that Steelers team that won the Super Bowl with Big Ben. That's a gap scheme, push you back, clear the gap. Yep. Yep. And you know, I think I think it's just important to look at that, especially with scheme fit. You can't just look at any tackle or any guard going to a team just because they need a guard. You know, sometimes putting a good putting a good zone scheme guard and a gap scheme team could almost be worse than signing a dude off the street. No, it's one of those things where people don't think about this very often, but getting the offensive lineman that fits your scheme well is maybe the most important position to fit your scheme. Because if you have offensive linemen that don't fit your scheme and they can't execute those things, then your offense is going to be at a standstill. Yeah, I mean, if you're trying to if you're trying to reach block with a dude who's just not agile and can't make it, even if he's a better pass protector, like it might not be worth having. No. So that kind of wraps up our offensive line series, and that wraps up the offense in general. Yeah, we'll um, be looking at the defense in our next episode. But to close this out, there's a lot of stuff that happened in the NFL this week. Yeah, so that we're gonna we want to cover. We're gonna go through uh, some of the news real quick, kind of our next segment. I'm gonna go ahead and get everything set up, and then we'll we'll hop right into it. All right, and we are back with a with a little bit of a news segment here because something kind of rocked the boat in the NFL world recently. Yeah, I don't think anyone saw it coming, but the league has completely retaken shape with this trade. 
I'm not going to lie. I, I believed that Jamal Adams would get traded, but I didn't, I didn't necessarily expect the Seahawks. Now, uh, that said, we both have our own opinions on it. Uh, first, let's read off the details. Um, Jamal Adams uh, was traded for two firsts, a third, and Bradley McDougald, uh, safety. Um, and then Jamal Adams uh, went with a fourth-round pick. That's for next year. So we're going to get um, the Jets receive uh, a first this year, a third this year, Bradley McDougald, and then a first next year. Uh, and then the Seahawks get Adams, and then next year they get a fourth. So those are the details. Um, we're going to kind of both take opposite sides on who really won this trade. Afterward, I'll, I will mention, like, I'll, I'll let y'all know what I actually think. Um, but first, it's just, I thought it'd be kind of interesting to, to kind of play both sides here. So uh, I'm going to be taking the Seahawks here. I'm going to be taking the Jets. You know, and as a fan of what Joe Douglas has been doing since he's been the general manager of the Jets, I'm excited to get to talk from their point of view on this. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I have to try to represent uh, John Schneider, which I don't think anyone properly can. No, no one properly can. So, uh, just kind of start. Uh, I mean, the Seahawks obviously won the trade because you look at those picks that they gave up, you know, two firsts and a third. There's no way you could possibly get, especially with the Seahawks' history in first-round picks, there's no way you could possibly get a player um, that's as generationally, you know, talented uh, as Jamal Adams. He, you know, despite what happened in in uh, New York, he is the locker room. You know, he's going to fit into what the culture that they try to build there. He's They're going to, you know, let him be individualistic there. He's going to really fit. He's going to... Um, not only be a talented player, but he's going to fit the uh, high IQ that they will allow him to use. You know, I'm kind of tired of hearing people bashing on the Jets all week. I really think that the Jets had to trade him. If he wasn't going to play for you, then you're going to pay him a lot of money for him to not play. And you just drafted a superstar. I'm going to say a future superstar safety. I'm going out on a limb if I'm wrong. I can be bashed for it, but I believe that Ashton Davis is going to be a star in the NFL. And I think that by moving Jamal Adams out, who didn't get along with the coach, was struggling with being in that situation, wanting out, you're giving Ashton Davis the example. You're giving him an opportunity to play next to Marcus May. And then Bradley McDougal's kind of a nickel guy. You bring him in and you really boost up your secondary. You know, and you make a you make a good point about kind of creating space, but man, I mean, you look at you look at the Seahawks; they're in they're in win now mode right now. You know, and the Jets are going to be stuck with Sam Darnold and, and nothing but draft picks around him. Well, and you're not going to have. I mean, you're not going to be able to build anything around him. And he's he's coming into his third year, man. I just I don't I don't know if he's going to be able to handle the stability there. And I think if you're I think if you're part of the Jets organization, you start by making Jamal Adams happy. I mean, I think that the Jet, that Jamal Adams doesn't fit the Jets' window. I think that your target win year is 2022, Sam Darnold's fifth-year option. You have With the way the Jets drafted this year, I have confidence they can draft pieces to put around him. I feel like they improved significantly this offseason, and that by that time, the Jets will be ready to make a playoff run. You know, conversely, that I think what the Seahawks have done here is put themselves in position to win a Super Bowl, to win a championship, because... I mean, let's just take a look at this defense for a second. Ignore everyone else 
but Jamal Adams and Bobby Wagner. That is an elite defense automatically. Oh, yeah. You're not getting any argument from me that that's going to be an elite defense and that the the Seahawks window is now this year. It very much is. I mean, you you look at um, that's just on the defense. You look at you obviously have Russell Wilson, so you're in competition every year for a Super Bowl. But then you've got Tyler Lockett, whose their connection has been robotic every year. Uh, but then you bring in DK Metcalf in his second year. You saw what he did against your Eagles in that last playoff game. Who I don't want to talk about that, but I will say DK Metcalf has been my best draft call of my scouting career so far. Yeah, it was uh, not very many people were high on him. Um, so looking at looking at that Seahawks offense, you know they go they have all of the running backs ever if they can get their offensive line to play up how they want it to. You can really be looking at this team winning Super Bowl. And if you look, they got better than they were last year. And they went toe-to-toe with the Niners twice. Well, I think you put a big if there. We just talked about the importance of an offensive line. And the Seahawks' offensive line did not get better. And that's one of the major reasons they lost that game against the Niners is they couldn't stop the pass rush. Not many lines can, but the Seahawks' line has been terrible. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they're necessarily... I, I am hesitant to say that they're not a Super Bowl team because you have Russell Wilson and you have Bobby Wagner and you have Jamal Adams. And the one thing Jamal Adams did for the Jets, which they no longer have, is make he made everything better. Wherever he was, they won. If he was at pass rush, they were winning. If he was in pass coverage, they were winning. If he was playing at linebacker, he's shutting down the run. You know, when he was in the box, they were one of the better run defenses or on defenses in the league. No, they were. I understand Jamal Adams. Yes, he's a superstar player, generational talent. But from the Jets' point of view, he wasn't going to play for you. And that's just dead cap then. You have a guy that's holding out to, for a trade, which is what he was saying he was going to do. So from Joe Douglas's point of view, you have to get him out of the locker room. Because while he had been a good locker room guy, the way he was acting, the way he was wanting his way out, wasn't good for your locker room anymore. Okay, and I would and I would kind of uh, come at that by saying the only locker room problems that the Jets had, his name was Adam Gase. I mean, you're you're talking about a guy who won't address. He's the head coach of his team. He wasn't addressing his team at halftime. He was having his position coaches do that. He was, you know, obviously since the very first press conference, there was not much confidence in him um, to be able to. He hasn't shown that he can win games. Uh, people believed in him because, well, he took Ryan Tannehill and he got some wins out of him. But look what Ryan Tannehill did. No, Ryan Tannehill's a great football player. I don't agree with that method that Adam Gase has, but I do believe that Adam Gase is a very good offensive mind. And with a young quarterback, you want an offensive-minded coach. You don't want to end up with a Josh Rosen situation where he comes into a team, defensive-minded coach, loses his confidence, turns into a probably bust at this point. Well, I mean, he's not far off of it. You know, I'm not I'm not going to say that I have the same confidence in Adam Gase as you do. Um, but, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think, you know, coming off of our off of our little back and forth here, like, what, in all honesty, like what I believe, I do believe that, I believe it was a fair trade. I believe it was a fair trade. I believe it benefits both sides in a large way. Uh, I, I mean, definitely, definitely. It took me a minute because my first reaction, you know, my gut, my gut reaction was that of, Oh, the Seahawks just fleece the Jets. And, I mean, you're talking about quarterback type. I mean, quarterback value that you just put into it. 
But I think he's a, he's just a quarterback of your defense. Oh, he really is. And I think that was most people's knee-jerk reaction. But then you look at the situation. The Jets are getting two first-round picks with a very underrated GM in Joe Douglas who's been drafting very well since he got there. He has done nothing but make good decisions since he got there. You're giving him two more picks. You're extending your window a little bit. I know Jets fans are disappointed. They thought their window was going to be this year when they drafted Sam Darnold. So, yes, extending that window for a little bit longer, which is not what Jets fans want to hear. They are desperate for wins. But I think that with those picks, you get a solid player in Bradley McDougal. You give Ashton Davis the chance to shine because him riding the bench, are you just going to waste his potential let him sit there? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I see that, and I'm, I believe in Ashton Davis the same way. I think one of the biggest issues that a lot of, that the average fan has with this is the fact they go, oh, he's just a safety. It's just, he's not just a safety. Okay, I'm going to read off some basic stats. These are basic. I don't have pro football focus up. I could grab that, but I, I can't right now. Um, so, 2019. First of all, made first team all pro. I'm not looking at pro bowls because those suck. Um, he played 14 games. He had an interception. For 61 yards and touchdowns. So he had that pick six. I think we both remember that. Oh, dear. Um, he had seven pass, defle- pass deflections, uh, two forced fumbles, one fumble recovery for a touchdown. That was the uh, that was against the Giants, where he just took it from Daniel Jones. Referring back to why you need a good center and me cough-coughing the Giants. He had six and a half sacks, which made him one of the more productive edge rushers, or one of the more productive pass rushers with his low snap count. Yeah, just for um, reference, he had 16 pressures on 90 blitzes, which is a crazy rate. He had six and a half sacks, um, six knockdowns, and three hurries. Like he's a very productive pass rusher in very limited snaps. Um, you know, he only missed. Let's see, he had a missed tackle rate of 5.1 percent, which is not elite. It's not linebacker level, but for a safety? Oh, it's great. And I think it's what the Seahawks team. are trying to do is rebuild that defense that, if you don't remember, you're missing out in the Legion of Boom. Well, and that's exactly what, I think going back to, he's not a linebacker. But like That's what Cam Chancellor was. He was a robber. He would play in the box as that, you know, that kind of, what, seventh dude on nickel, eighth he- guy in base. And yeah. he was a linebacker-sized individual. He's Deion Jones' size. If Deion Jones were playing then, they'd put him at safety. No, Jamal Adams is the closest thing we've seen to Cam Chancellor since Cam Chancellor himself. Hmm. He may even have the potential. I'm going to go out on a limb here because Seahawks fans don't hate me. He may have the potential to be better than Cam Chancellor in that system. I think he already is. Yeah. I, I think he's. I think he's already better. Like I think he's the best. He's the best safety in the league. I mean, I would. I don't know about he's, that for me. But... Yeah, for me, he's the best safety in the league. He's tied with Derwin James for best safety, and I think, I think, for me, he has played with less around him than uh, than Derwin did in in L.A. Where when you've got less around you, you have to make up for other people's mistakes, and he's still been as productive as he's been. He's still made their defense that much better in all those places, and he's a little bit more of a box guy than Derwin. No, I wasn't actually going to put Derwin's name in there. I was actually going to put Minka Fitzpatrick in that conversation. He's been a guy who's playing with less around him. He showed up in Pittsburgh, and that team somehow won nine games. I'm still trying to figure that one oh, out. The Steelers, no, don't just don't question. Still, still scratching my head on that one. Mike Tomlin should have won Coach of the Year. NFL, what are you doing? Um, it's not a popularity contest anyway. It really is just a popularity <laughs> I'm contest. I'm salty about that one. 
Ugh, no, yeah, I mean, I, and I see, and I see where you're coming from. I just, I need to see more from him. Because I, I feel like that's a really great trio. You know, they all came out in the same draft class, which is insane. Talk about a safety class. And the fact that the Dolphins couldn't use him properly, I mean, that's exactly, and that shows. Like, I love Brian Flores. I think he's a really good coach. That move. That was not a wise was move. Rough. This trade is not like the Minka trade. At the Minka trade of the Dolphins, are you trying to lose? You're talking about getting fleeced. Talk about getting fleeced. This is not that. The Jets just did not totally destroy themselves. While I wish they could have worked things out with Jamal Adams, maybe played Ashton Davis at corner, that would have been amazing. But that wasn't going to happen. Jamal Adams was already wanting out. I will mention, though, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick was not happy with his role. And was not happy with his role in Miami. That's one of the things he mentioned. He didn't make a stink about it like Jamal Adams did, where Adams is like, get me out of here. But he did mention it, and the, and the Dolphins obliged. They could have done a whole lot worse than the Steelers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and I mean, that's just kind of, that's just kind of our thoughts on the Jamal Adams trade, because it really is a, it's a league-shaping event. It, he went, he crossed conferences. You know, he's going to be him and Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks against the outside zone. That's your 49er stopper. That's who that's they're trying the, to beat. That's the Niner stopper. Like, some of these teams in the AFC are planning, they're trying to beat Kansas City. This, the Broncos are starting an arms race, you know. The Baltimore is trying to make it track, a track meet as well. Like, in the NFC, you're this, trying to stop the run. Can you stop the run? Can you stop that Niners outside zone Kyle Shanahan scheme that just destroyed the league this year? Yeah, I think people also forgot because they were a little quieter this year. They it was almost it was very surprising to a lot of people. The Rams run outside zone a lot. They do, and then someone up and coming. Can you stop Cliff Kingsbury's what the heck offense? And his air raid and his RPOs really are designed to stretch. And it's the way that the air raids run since Hal Mummy, where. You're having to stretch the defense laterally, and so it requires athleticism and it requires burst. Where you see guys like Jamal Adams or sideline to sideline defenders, uh, you know, even and KJ Wright's such an underrated linebacker in today's game. All three of those linebackers plus Jamal Adams, you you can't run on them, even if your front even if your front four isn't necessarily elite. The second level. He's going to make up for it. And, you know, I see Jamal Adams getting some interceptions on Kyler Murray this year by reading the play before it happens. Jamal Adams did it a ton this year, and the NFC should be scared. I think he'll get someone on NFC quarterbacks. Be like, he'll see the play before it happens and stop it, yeah. which is something that very few guys can do, and it's what makes Jamal Adams so great. Yeah, I mean, the, the NFC West, the NFC West just kind of has like a little bit of a snapshot as to who's playing in that division defensively now. I mean, between the Seahawks and the Rams – You've got Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Jamal Adams, and Bobby Wagner. I mean, those are those are two teams. Those just are two teams. F- five guys that are pretty much in defensive player of the year conversation every year. Uh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, at this point, now that Keekley's gone, you've got the number one linebacker, the number one player in the league. You've got the top five corner. I think he needs to show a little bit more, but he's there. He's elite, no doubt. And then you've got. Arguably the best safety in the league. Well, and then you look at the Niners. You have Nick Bosa, who's turning mm-hmm. into a star. You have AJ Star, Richard Sherman. You have um, now Javon Kinlaw Fred and Warner. Isaiah Simmons. Yeah, Fred Warner, Quan Alexander. Those guys are some awesome linebackers. And then, yeah, you mentioned Isaiah Simmons as well, you know, and the corpse of Patrick Peterson. Yeah, I mean, I think this may turn into the best defensive division in football. 
it very well could, especially because the Patriots are imploding and, you know, I think, and the Jets are, like, you. there was a case to be made a little bit before the season started to take shape. I mean, the Jets could have had, the Jets could have had a very good defense. The Bills obviously have a great defense. The Patriots every year have an amazing defense. And then the Dolphins went out and got some firepower in their secondary. There was an argument for that division being better, but with this trade, I give it to the NFC West. Yep, especially with what happened to the Patriots. So, I mean, if y'all don't know, as of today, which is the 2nd of August, eight players on the Patriots have now opted out. All we're going to mention, the Patriots' defense was already, it was already time to regress. That just sped up the process. Yeah, you, you lose Kyle Van Noy in free agency, interdivision, and then this happens. And if you if you thought that they were going to go to the Super Bowl when they got Cam Newton... I was in that boat. It's over. I don't think that you can lose some of these players. Um, so anyway, I think, I mean, we're, we're coming up on 50 minutes here, um, at least pre-editing. You know, I think it's time to time to go ahead and head out. Yeah, we're going to head out. Excited to talk about defensive prototypes next time. I think we're going to cover defensive line and linebackers. Yes, sir. We're going to have a whole episode for defensive back because that's, man, I love defensive backs. Yeah, they're awesome to watch. It's going to be a great conversation. Uh, make sure you all listen in. We're going to be trying to release these every Monday now. Um, Saturdays weren't really working as well for us uh, scheduling-wise, so I'll be looking for those every Monday. Uh, Scouting Report's out Tuesday, Thursday. Follow me on Twitter at Scout, and then follow me on Instagram at, the, at Amateur Draft Scout. So uh, we'll talk to you all later.